Church, today, as we get closer and closer back to school time, and we are right there tomorrow, I know so many kids are waking up, so many of universities have already started. I really want for you guys to hear me today. Many churches are going to unite at Marshall High School at 5 p.m. and pray for the students that will be flooding that campus tomorrow. I'd love for IBC to be represented there. So if you guys can, I would greatly appreciate your attendance if you were free. Hey, on top of that, I know today has been a jam-packed service. We have had baptisms. We have had sixth graders commissioned. But also, we have a group of kids, and it's their very first time being in what we call IBC's Big Church Club. What that means is that they're no longer going to children's church during the service. They are staying in here, which we're so blessed. Y'all should have been given one of these big old bags with all kinds of good stuff. We got Play-Doh in here, which is great. If I preach too long, I've been told y'all can throw that out. Me, that's great here. Free play doh. Oh, I almost hit a college girl in the face. You won. All right. Hey, but while I'm throwing things, here we go. If you're not paying attention, every kid gets a hacky sack. Here we go. Hey, line drive. All right. Well, let's go over here. Hang on. Let's just go this way. Woo. That was awesome. Hey, listen, if you guys aren't woken up by now, I don't know what to do. What to do here? Free popcorn tub. Awesome. Hey. Y'all got to be a little wild. I love it. Hey, but for you kids, you also got most important thing in that bag. You got a Bible. And in this Bible, you guys are going to find where we're going to be preaching today. And that's going to be Luke chapter 9. Now that's going to be page 1254, 1254 for all of my kids in our NIV Adventure Bible. But for the rest of you, we are going to be in Luke Nine chapter 20, Luke chapter 9, verses 23 through 26, as we talk about the lifestyle of a disciple. Now, I think it's so fitting that our series has thrown us in to the lifestyle of a disciple right as school is back in session, because I think this is so important. Young people, hear me. What I want for you guys to recognize is you guys are not going as students to your first day of school. You're not going as kids. You guys are going as disciples to represent Jesus to those around you. This is a huge opportunity. I'll never forget in all of my years of youth ministry that I spent, one of the most profound moments that I ever had, I was sitting with a high school football player. His dad was the coach of the Permian High School, Permian Panthers. It was very prestigious. And he was one of the starting offensive linemen. He was a big deal. He had college offers. And all throughout high school, I begged him to show up to church. All throughout high school, I begged him to get plugged in. I begged him to get discipled. I begged him to make much of Jesus. And I never got him to show up to anything until after his senior season of football was over. And then I started to work with him. And then I started to have interaction with him. He started to attend and be a part. And he started to grow in his discipleship. And one summer, he stood before every other student in our junior high and high school ministry, and he said something I'll never forget. He said, I dedicated my entire high school career to football, and I couldn't have made a bigger mistake in my entire life. He said, this far, that has been my biggest failure because I made much of football in myself rather than making much of Jesus. Hear me. Use football as a platform, use cheerleading as a platform, use band, choir, whatever as a platform for you to live out your discipleship process boldly for the Lord. Listen, Jesus died for you. He called us to live for him. So let's look at Luke 9, verse 23 through 26. And he said to all, if anyone would come after me, 
Let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow after me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed. And when he comes in his glory, in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. See, we want to always talk about reward. We want to talk about heaven. We want to talk about salvation. But we have to recognize that no cross equals no salvation. No cross equals no heaven. And no cross means there's no crown. Now, three of the Gospels record this statement that Jesus made. Can we jump over and look at Mark chapter 8, verse 34? And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? Now, just to give a little bit of backstory, see, Peter, man, we can all relate to Peter, this guy with a big heart and a big mouth, but he often couldn't back up what he said. And what he ends up doing is he has this great moment with Jesus after so many failures, having so many dumb moments, he ends having this moment where Jesus says, hey, who do people say that I am? And Peter responds, hey, people say you're this and this and this. And then they say, but hey, Peter, who who do you say that I am? And Peter gets it right. For the first time, Peter doesn't look like an idiot. And Peter says, listen, you are the Messiah. You're the Savior. You're the Son of God, the Most High. And Jesus goes, and that's right, Peter. Peter, good job. Congratulations. I can do something with you. But without skipping a beat, we find ourselves right after that. The very next thing to be mentioned is in Matthew chapter 16, verse 21. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. But he turned to Peter. Remember, Peter just got this great compliment. Peter just had this great moment. And then Jesus turns around and looks at Peter and says this, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. See, Peter tries to step in and he's going, hey, I'm not going to let you die. I refuse to let you die. You can't leave us. Jesus, not with me around. I will not let anybody hurt you. And then Jesus' response, without skipping a beat, verse 24, right after this, then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what shall it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Church, here's the cool thing that happens here. Peter's trying to be a big shot. Peter's trying to be tough, but I do think Peter is loving. He says, Jesus, I'm not going to let anybody kill you. And Jesus' response to Peter is, hey, not only am I going to die, but I need you to live life in such a way that you will also be killed for the sake of my name. 
I don't want you to be protective. I want you to be selfless. I want you to allow them to seal my fate like we all know it's supposed to happen. But also, I need you to live your life in such a selfless manner, pursuing me, being such a disciple that you too are picking up your cross and following after me. See, Christians... We love to talk about the reward, but we do not like to talk about the sacrifice. We want to talk about heaven, but we don't want to talk about the cross. We want to talk about salvation, but not the cross. Jesus is trying to say here, following after me is not about the benefits. It's about denying yourself, picking up your cross, going into the trenches, and being willing, if necessary, to lose your life literally for the sake of the gospel, but figuratively giving up your life. What he means by that is no longer living for self, but living for him. So we ask ourselves today, how can we be a true disciple? How can we truly follow after Jesus? How can we make much of his name together. Well, I think in the three gospels that we read, they defined teaching things that Jesus clearly pointed out. Three, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow after him. See, in God's word, when it says deny yourself, that's the very same word that Jesus used when he told Peter that he would deny him three times before the rooster crowed. Do you remember this one? See, Peter understands denial by the end of his life. And what Peter has been taught to do by Jesus in this moment is to deny yourself, to let the old man pass away and allow the new man to be reborn, to let what is old, what is self, what is sin die and embrace what is new. I read this this week and I thought it was too good to pass over. Patrick Morley wrote, the American gospel has evolved into a gospel of addition rather than subtraction. It is a belief that we can add Christ into our life, but not subtract sin. It is a change in belief without a change in behavior. Do you guys hear that? I think all too often, we want to just change our belief to make much of Jesus rather than change our behavior. This is a huge, huge problem with church culture, American culture, Christian culture. We don't want to subtract sin. We just want to add Jesus. We want to add Jesus to our life and to our mess, but we don't want to subtract ourselves out of it. And Jesus says this, if you want to come after me, you have to die to self. Self-denial is central to the component. When we teach young people about salvation, and all my years of youth ministry, when I would teach a young teenager what it took to accept Christ, I would go over what I like to call the ABCs. We've heard these before. We admit that we're a sinner. We believe Jesus is who he says he is, and we see what? Commit our lives to the Lord. When I would lead a young person to Jesus, I would always put the sentence in it. Lord, it's no longer about me. It's all about you. I believe when a Christian stands before God and they live life that way, God can do some amazing things through them. When we don't live life for ourselves, but we choose to make much of Jesus, man, what could God do with that person? See, we love to say this statement, hey, Jesus is my co-pilot. Man, that is dumb. Jesus is the pilot, the plane, the wings, the engine. Jesus is everything. You need to be sitting in the back of the plane, not even concerned about where you're going, because Jesus is in control. 
Hear me today, church. We have to dethrone ourselves so Jesus can sit on it. We both cannot be Lord. Man cannot serve two masters. And can I tell you, all too often, the church and preachers say, you can't serve the devil and you can't serve Jesus. Guess what? You know what the devil is in your life? You don't want to know who the devil really is? It's you. Yourself. Yourself is the problem more than anyone else. You give Satan way too much credit. You really do. Oh, the devil made me do this. The devil made you do that. No, the devil didn't make you do anything. Do you recognize that? Like Jesus, when Jesus is in you, Satan really cannot force you to do anything. You choose to live the life that you're living. You choose to live for self. But you and Jesus both can't sit on the throne. In order for Jesus to be king in your life, you must dethrone yourself. See, Self is the biggest issue in the world, not just in Christian culture, but all over. People recognize it. Legendary NBA basketball coach Pat Riley was asked, what prevents great teams from winning championships? His response, sabotaged by the disease of me. Selfish stars focus on themselves. They resent others getting any glory. They're frustrated even when the team is winning and things aren't going their way. The most difficult thing for individuals to do when they become part of a team, a body, is to sacrifice. Riley surmises by saying, it is much easier to be selfish than to be selfless. We sang this song today. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wondrous face. And the thing of earth will grow strangely dim. In the light of his glory and grace. Question, what are you turning your eyes from in order to turn to Jesus? Turn your eyes towards Jesus. What are you turning them from? You're turning them from self. You're turning them from yourself, from your selfishness, from your selfish desires, from your selfish ambitions. That's what your eyes are fixed on when it's not fixed on Jesus. Every time that your eyes aren't on Jesus, they're on yourself. Recognize this. Recognize that you cannot be looking upon Jesus while also looking back at yourself. You want to know what so many people do? So many people, instead of looking at Jesus, you put a mirror in front of the cross so you can see what you love most. That is what culture has taught us is most important. It's all about making sure that we don't suffer. It's all about making sure that we are comfortable. It's all about making sure that we don't have to endure. Man, God's word teaches this principle, but secular world has made up this statement. No pain, no gain. Let me break that down a little bit. Following after Jesus causes suffering. Following after Jesus hurts because... When we say no to self, we are saying yes to suffering. When we think of Jesus carrying the cross, we think, Jesus, you carry the cross, I'll carry the crown. Your punishment, our reward. Your sacrifice, our blessing. But Jesus says, no, I carry my cross, but you carry yours. Deny yourself. There was a great ruler by the name of Charlemagne. King Charlemagne, 
And 180 years after his death, his tomb was opened up. And people walked in and saw the most amazing treasure all around him. It was phenomenal. And then they saw him sitting in the center of his tomb with all this treasure around him with the crown, this gorgeous golden crown still on his skull with rings on his now bony fingers. And I kid you not, a Bible on his lap with his finger pointed to one verse on that Bible, Luke 9, 25. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses his soul? Can you imagine? So many people miss the mark because we boast in leisure, we boast in self, but Galatians 6, 14 teaches us, let me boast on nothing but the cross of Jesus. No cross, no crown. See, we are called to profess Christ and then immediately suffer as Christ did. Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote this. I love this statement. Christ calls a man. When Christ calls a man, he bids him to come and die. We are called to give up Ourself. So Jesus is saying, come after me by denying self. And then what? He says, pick up your cross. Now, why do we have to deny self first before we can pick up our cross? Because you cannot pick up a cross unless you have empty hands. Do you hear this? We are trying to live the Christian life by holding on to so much. By holding on to wealth. By holding on to fame. By holding on to popularity. By holding on to what people think about us. We cannot pick up the cross with that much in our hands. We have to empty our hands. We have to empty out our pockets and in turn come to the cross totally open and empty so that Christ can fill us up. So we must commit to carrying our own cross. Now, when we think of the word cross, we think of this beautiful, sanded, stained piece of wood. Man, it has so much meaning. When we see the cross, we see grace. When we see the cross, we see forgiveness. When we see the cross, we think of the sacrifice that Jesus made for us. But we have to go back in time to how the disciples felt. Because when Jesus makes the statement, he has not yet died on that cross. He has not yet given his life on that cross. So in turn, all the cross is for them is a device for torture. All it is is a symbol of shame. All it is is a symbol of blame. All it is is a device used to absolutely murder somebody. And that is what they think of. And so when Jesus says, carry your cross, that's what's going on in their minds. See, when we think of Jesus walking down the road, the Via Della Rosa, when he's walking up to Golgotha, we think about him holding this full cross, but we truly believe that he was only holding the cross piece, the one crossbar. His hands were more than likely tied to the crossbar. And when they would tie them to the crossbar, they wouldn't just have another piece of wood that they would lift up. Often they would just nail a guy to just any random tree they could get their hands on because crucifixions were so common. At the date in which Jesus was saying this, there was an uprising of Jewish zealots. And over a hundred Jewish zealots were potentially hanging on crosses at the same moment that Jesus was saying that. The disciples could have walked out of the room they were in. They could have walked around a corner and probably saw a man dead or alive hanging on a cross. 
recognize what it meant for them. Recognize the bold statement Jesus is making. This wasn't figurative in their minds. He's saying, if you follow after me, you are going to be disliked and hated. The government will not like you. The other Jews will not like you. The Gentiles will not like you. In turn, no one is going to like you. Nobody is going to protect you. And by saying yes to me, you could be saying yes to your death. Are you willing to be devoted to me enough to die to self and follow after me? So we see all throughout scripture that Jesus wants you to be all in or not at all. Jesus calls us to come and die. But listen, when we think about this concept of suffering, we recognize the apostle Paul, my goodness, Did he suffer for the cause of Christ? My goodness, did David, did Joshua, did Jonathan, I can name you, Old Testament, New Testament, they suffered as they pursued Jesus. We are no different. But when we are called to carry the cross, I think of 1 Corinthians 1.18, for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. See, thinking about this, I just want to show you guys something. This is going to look a little ridiculous, and I think that that's okay if you don't mind. See, when I think about carrying the cross, I think we need to put a couple pictures in our mind. First of all, carrying the cross is noticeable. It's noticeable. When Jesus said, go pick up your cross, they recognized when they picked up their cross, it would draw attention. When Jesus picked up his cross, it was not something that went unnoticed. Now, y'all, I know that this looks a little weird. Like, I'm cool with that, okay? Like, deal with it. I know I'm the weird preacher, and I'll own it. But here's what's going on. When Jesus says to pick up the cross, he's saying, I'm going to ask you to do something that's going to make you stand out. This isn't a private thing. This isn't a quiet thing. People are going to be watching. And the moment that you choose to live for me, you are going to become a public symbol for me. You represent me. Eyes will be on you. It's going to be noticed. Why are you going to be noticed? Because you're going to have to live your life differently. You're not going to treat your parents like all of your other friends do. You're not going to treat your teachers like all of your other friends do. Teachers, you're not going to talk about your students the way that all of your colleagues do in the workroom. Hey, parents, you're going to love your kids with the love of Christ when you want to kill them. I get it. Mine's only six months old. I've already been there. Yo, I get it. Listen, following after Christ is noticeable. It stands out from what the world is doing. Guess what, young people? It means you're going to date different. It means that you're not going to go to those parties that you get invited to. It means that you're not going to hang out with those certain people that you've been invited to hang out with. Hey, guess what? When you're at work, it means that you're not going to engage in the same things that all of your other colleagues are doing because guess what? Following after Christ is noticeable because it is different. But then the other thing is this. When you carry your cross, it's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable. Not only is it noticeable, but it's uncomfortable. Guys, listen. This doesn't weigh what the cross weighed. But the weight of following after Jesus is not always easy. It is uncomfortable. See, God's word says the yoke is easy, the burden is light. But that doesn't mean it is 
comfortable. It doesn't mean it's always fun. It doesn't mean that it always makes sense. It means that sometimes there's going to be awkward moments because how you have to live differently, because you're going to go on vacations differently, because you're going to save and spend your money differently, because you're going to talk to the people you interact with differently. Not only is it going to be uncomfortable, but carrying a cross is absolutely personal. One cross per one person. See, your grandmother's cross can't save you. Your mom and dad's cross can't save you. And your cross can't save your kids or the ones you love. One cross per one person. Jesus says, I will carry mine while I call you to carry yours. It is about your personal fate. There was never more than one person on one cross. What does that mean too? Nobody else is to blame for how you live your life. Nobody else is to blame for how you follow after Jesus or how you don't follow after Jesus. You and you alone are accountable. Can I tell you what we're living in right now? We're living in a culture of excuses. Young people, can I just go ahead and tell you, your generation, those that do not have Christ within them, are the generation of excuses. You blame everything on your past. You blame everything on what's going on now. My my older folks in here don't think you're getting off that easy. Guess what? You blame everything on the young people. My goodness. We love to blame. We love to talk about how the world isn't as good as it once was. Guess what? You are called to carry your cross. And if you carry your cross well, I truly believe you can make a difference for the cause of Christ. But then hear this. Not only is it personal, it's permanent. When you carry your cross, it is permanent. The moment that Jesus was strapped to that cross beam, he never became unstrapped until he had died. Nobody got taken off of the cross until they had passed away. Everybody that picked up a cross held on to it until they breathed their last. Guess what? God is never going to take away your cross until you're done. You are never done living for Jesus until the very last breath you take. Some of my older folks in here, can you embrace that today? Can you make sure you hear me and hear that God is not finished? You haven't retired. I know that it gets heavy. I know that it's tiring. I know that you're just thinking, you know, I don't know if I can serve in the ways I used to. You might not be able to serve in the ways that you used to, but you can still serve effectively, if not even more so, just differently. Listen, don't put down your cross. But then, just to go back to it, carrying the cross is public. Christ made a public statement When he picked up his cross and died and breathed his last breath. Church, as we think about carrying our cross, here's what I'm asking. Before we can pick up our cross, we have to deny self. Can't pick up the cross without empty hands. But then what do we do? We pick up our cross and embrace the impact and the power that that cross can have on this world. Church, last thing we see is this. We see that we're called to deny ourselves, pick up our cross, and then what? Follow after Jesus. See, that's our connection. That's important. See, without 
following after Jesus, with not, without having intimacy with the Lord, we have no power. Without intimacy with Jesus, without a connection to our source, we are not strong enough to carry the cross. Now hear me. I love this concept. Intimacy precedes ministry. Intimacy with Jesus precedes ministry. Before you can do, you have to be intimately connected with Jesus. Now, y'all, can, can I give you one more weird illustration? Do you mind being weird with me again? Let's do it. Here, I've thrown, I've thrown a bunch of hacky sacks at you, picked up my pulpit, and now let's play with some power tools. Okay, listen. This, I have two blowers in my house. I have one that's battery powered, and I have one that is powered by the extension cord, right? The electricity. Now, this can get some work done, let me tell you. This one, if I really have an issue, I really want to blow some things away, this is the one I grab. But here's the concept. Off, on. Off, on. Problem. Without connected to the power supply, does it do me any good? Absolutely not. But don't worry. I thought this through. And I brought my extension cord. Some of y'all are getting nervous. I'm going to check and see if that hair on the top of your head is real. I know who you are. Now listen to me for a second. This sucker will turn on. We're doing just fine. But pay attention for a moment. See, when we get connected to the Savior, we think we're good. The moment that we accept Christ, we think, great, we are hooked into the power supply so we can start to carry our cross. But here's what's interesting. Have you ever realized that your extension cord wasn't as long as what you needed it to be? Have you ever noticed that before? And what ends up happening? You're doing your thing, you're having a good time, and eventually you get too far away from your power supply. Whoa. And we've got ourselves a problem. Why? Because all too often Christians have gotten disconnected from our Heavenly Father because we have separated ourselves from Him. We've gone too far from Him. And guess what happens? I don't believe you can effectively carry your cross unless you are effectively plugged into the power of Jesus. I don't believe it's possible. Church, with that being said, hear me today. Some of you accepted Christ years ago and the yoke isn't easy. The burden isn't life. Like you are struggling day by day, faking like you're saved, but truly you don't sense it and you don't feel it. Guess what? I don't believe in getting re-saved. Here's what I do believe in. I believe that you need to pursue intimacy with our Savior. For those of you in this room that have never been plugged into the power supply that is our Savior, never truly accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior, hear me today. Before you can ever do anything for God, you have to be connected to God. Before you can live like a Christian, you have to be a Christian. Guys, can I say this? I think that there are all too often people in churches week after week that are dying and going to hell because they do not recognize that they're simply acting like a Christian, but they're truly not plugged into the Savior. Before today's over, would you search your heart and make sure that you have a connection with our Heavenly Father? And for those of you that do not have a relationship with Jesus, would you please come and talk to me? Come to talk to one of our church members. Come and talk to somebody. Just don't leave the room. Don't leave the building.
until you're confident that you are connected to our Heavenly Father. Will y'all pray with me? Lord, we thank you for an opportunity today to hear from you, to see your word come alive. God, I pray that this week we will recognize that our goal is not to simply go out and be good, but rather, God, be your disciple and that goodness and love will pour out of us. God, if we're plugged into the source of love, the source of truth, the source of power, we will find intimacy and success in our lives because we're connected to the author of success. Lord, I pray for those in here that are connected with you. God, I pray you'll give them boldness today to respond to the gospel. In your name we pray, amen. Church, we got to stand as we sing.